Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. I'm Richard Sverson. And I'm Anna Shvetska. And we're joined today uh, by Alessandro Vitelli. Alessandro is an expert in all matters carbon. He's been covering uh, the carbon market since about 1879, haven't you, Alessandro? 1882, I think. Let's, let's get cut right to the quick, I think, uh, Alessandro. EUA prices, where are they now? Currently just above 20 euros. Okay. And what's, what are the main drivers for, the, for these prices currently? Well, as you know, we ended last year around about 25 euros um, after having reached a 10-year high uh, in September. The market since then, however, has taken a more dim view of short-term fundamentals. We have uh, had cheaper LNG prices, which have forced gas prices in Europe down. That, in turn, has made gas-fired power more competitive. Mm. Consequently, there's less demand for carbon. Right. So that's made a little bit of the rally that we saw last year come back a little bit. Isn't there a touch of irony about this, that as we're kind of getting towards more cleaner generation, more gas in, carbon prices fall? Yes, that's how it's meant to, that's how it's meant to work. The idea is that an emissions trading system should eventually be the uh, the engine of its own downfall. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. You touched upon the prices last year. How would you summarize the movements last year? I mean, we went from, what was it, 7, 8 euros up to 25? What, what, what were the main drivers here? Speculation and um, anticipation, I think. The late 2017, the European Commission finally agreed its reform package for the EUETS, and that included the market stability reserve, which was going to take out volume from the surplus volume from the market. They increased the rate at which that withdrawal happens to 24% for the next five years. And that really was the trigger for all sorts of people to get involved in the market to buy in anticipation of higher prices. So a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy went on, and prices were always going up, really irrespective of fundamentals. It was all about future scarcity. And now that we've come into the beginning of the MSR in 2019, uh, the reality is slightly different. Mm-hmm. People were anticipating higher prices in general, but we've now worked out that the MSR isn't going to complete the job until 2023. So 2019 is a little bit early to be you know, going for those, those high prices. So it stopped at 25 and then came plunging down. But you're saying that a lot of people came into the market. Yeah. Could you say something about these kind of players? Sure. I mean, are they still in the market as well? Well, let's give you an example. I mean, RWE early last year in 2018 said we have financially covered our carbon requirements until 2022, I think it was. So that meant they were more or less covered for all their purchasing requirements for the next five years, four years. So... When they do that, they're driving the market up. When a hedge fund gets involved because someone has said, this market's going one way, they buy, they drive the price up. Now, a lot of the activity was in the options market because it's a cheaper way to get involved. So you had a lot of um, investors, private investors, hedge funds, whatever, buying in the options market, and that drives the underlying price higher. And some people obviously made made a killing. Some people made a lot of money, yes. Some analysts talk the market up as well, isn't it? Wasn't that kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy? Or, I mean, there were claims of 40 euro, 100 euro. I think the analysts are looking at it in the same rational way that market actors are looking at it, saying, look, supply is going to be cut significantly. Therefore, scarcity is going to apply and prices are going to have to go up. I mean, Mm. that's the fundamental basic assumption that people made Mm. looking at the results of the reform package. Then putting that into action is a different question entirely. 
uh, and estimating where prices will reach after a number of years is, again, you're looking at a moving target because there's all sorts of moving elements, diff- different parts to this whole equation, the cost of, the cost of electricity, the, the cost of fuels, et cetera, et cetera. All of that works to impact the price of carbon as well. But the MSR, is that a factor that's, that's off the table now? Well, no, the MSR is a reality. It's, it's, it's now happening. The, 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 the volume of EUAs that's being sold every day in the European Union, in the market, has been cut in half, more or less. So you're selling two and a half million tons a day instead of five. So that, over time, is going to really begin to impact the market. But you can't expect it to impact the market two months in, because we're talking about a 1.6 billion ton surplus that has to be taken out of circulation. That's going to take five years. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a partly, I think, Anna, for me, which was very surprising that despite this massive surplus, um, a glut of allowances, if you like, we still um, have, have prices or, or prices were driven quite high. Um, I, I, you know, to me, it's, it seems sort of, um, in a way, an odd, you know, an odd factor in the market. Yeah, I think, so if I remember correctly, uh, there was a lot of, you know, controversy and criticism um, that EU was giving too much of the, too, too many of the free allowances and that the system wasn't really working as it's supposed to be. Like we were not really battling the pollution. Well, Agreed. If you go back to the very beginning of the EU ETS in 2005, not a lot of countries in the EU had solid installation level data. To show, to, to show what actual emissions from plants were. So in, in, in a lot of the cases in, in the European allocation plans, it was guesswork. You know, some of those allocation plans, for every single plant in the country, the allocation proposed ended in three zeros. In other countries, it was, down, it was measured down to the last ton. So there's a lot of uncertainty at the beginning. And so when we found out in 20, 2006 that the market was long, yes, prices collapsed. But that was what the first phase, 2005, 6, and 7, was all about, was making sure the system worked, making sure we built up some data. The second phase, which starts in 2008, addressed those, many of those issues of, over, of over-allocation. Not entirely, but most of them. And so at an installation level, there was more accurate data, which meant that the allocation, the free allocation of EUAs could be more in line with actual emissions at these plants. So work in progress. Work in progress. I mean, again, the MSR is still attempting to address the impact of some of the things that were done in phase two that were not correct. Indeed. Um, But I think Anna is into something, you know, is touching upon a, a factor which I think is quite crucial here. Is it working? I mean, I'm sure it's starting to bite now. So coal-fired generators having to think quite hard whether they're going to, you know, fire up their coal plant or if they're going to switch to gas or become more green. At the beginning, there was also the talk like, you know, the big polluters, they will still be doing the same because they have the money to buy the permit. Well, they don't necessarily have the, ha- have, they have the money to buy the permits, but they may not necessarily have the ability to pass on the cost. So, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. it works both ways. But again, back in 2005, the carbon price was up there around 30 euros for a while, which was where people estimated it needed to be to force fuel switching. The fact that we are now back up around or towards those levels indicates that once again, people are looking for the price of carbon, which will force utilities to switch fuels. So we're not there yet, but we are again approaching those kind of prices. And that is the calculus that people are performing. We are in the process of watching the rollout of this new supply restriction, the market stability reserve. It's not, I mean, the second month in, out of a five-year program, you cannot expect instant results. In one sense, the MSR anticipation last year was overdone because people expected it to take effect, you know, and to have a complete effect right away. 
what we're discovering now, of course, is that when you're chipping away at a 1.6 billion ton surplus and you're chipping it away by 50% each month, it's going to take a while before it actually really does impact the availability, the supply of allowances. So we cannot expect a complete reaction and a complete impact today. One thing that strikes me is the volatility of this market, Alessandro. I mean, if you look back over the last maybe five, six months, and compared to the, the previous six months or the six months before that, there's a marked, marked difference. Yes. I mean, could you, you know, could you explain that? What's, what's going on here? Well, to one extent, it's the outcome of more options trading. Because as people accumulate options positions, they have to hedge that. And they hedge that by buying or selling EU allowances. It's not fundamental buying, it's hedging options exposure. So they, it exaggerates the price move in either direction. Because on one day, one day it's up a euro, another, you know, it's falling by a euro. The next day it's up by a euro and a half. You know, these are enormous price swings. I mean, they're up to 15, 20%. Right, and then that is the impact of options positions being hedged either way. So, you know, they exaggerate the natural price direction of the market, the underlying price, uh, as people buy or sell to hedge options, options exposure. Mm. Uh, and it's continued into this year as well. We've had, interestingly enough, last year was all about the call option, the option to buy allowances. People were, were investing heavily in those. This year, you know, it's still there. The call option exposure is there, but there's an increasing amount of put option. Mm-hmm. exposure, the, op- the option to sell allowances. So there are people out there who are protecting their downside who wouldn't have dreamed of doing so last year. And how does this, the volumes of options being traded compared to the standard EUAs that are changing hands? It's very difficult to judge that, I mean, on a day-to-day basis because options trading can be lots in an individual day and ne- next to nothing the next day. It also depends on which particular contract and which strike price you're looking at. Mm. So you have to follow the data and you have to you know, clearly understand why certain strike prices are interesting and others are not mm. so it's it, it's a little bit more technical than a, a simple you know supply and demand equation sure do you expect this kind of roller coaster of volatility to to continue there's no reason why not um we don't have if you like if, if you look at the price chart from 2018 it was one way traffic going up 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 right up until september when things got very volatile mm. um as long as we don't have that strong upward trend in, in, in place, we're going to have volatility. Simply put, people are not sure where the market's going. The options exposure is going to exaggerate uh, price moves up and down until such time as the market has confidence that demand for carbon is going to really be higher the prices are going to swing around here. There's a lot of other uncertainties, temporary uncertainties, which are keeping the mar- a cap on the market right now. So we have to take account of temporary factors. I think we'll come back to some of the drivers um, later on. What's happening now, I think, is also, isn't it, that a lot of companies are looking at what their emissions were in 2018. They have the 1st of March deadline, don't they, to to submit um, EUAs. That's right. Is that a price driver at the moment? It's traditionally uh, a, a sort of price influence around this time of year. So February, March is when companies are getting their verified reports of the previous year's emissions, and they're looking at their uh, balances, their portfolio of allowances to check they have enough, mm. and then the, the surrendering them to the European Commission. It is a price driver. Uh, in the circumstances that we find ourselves today after last year's trebling of prices, it may be that a lot of compliance buyers made the effort to buy as prices were going up just to avoid having to spend too much money. 
So there may be those companies who are already fully covered and only need to adjust by you know hundreds of tons. There are some other companies who've, and who've left it to, to, to quarter one to do their, uh, their purchasing, which is a traditional uh, response. It's a very brave move with these prices, surely. Well, yeah. Would you go short with these prices? No, I'm not sure I would. If you're a compliance company, no. That's just not a play. But if you're a speculative trader, absolutely. There are with, you know, we talked about the volatility, and prices go down as well as go up. And so, yeah, you can short it, and you can make money from doing that. If you're brave. I mean, returning to that, to the speculators, there has been a criticism from certain quarters about the role of the speculators in this market. I mean, we're back to, you know, um, the role of them driving up the prices and, and you know, in, in a vehicle such as carbon, which is there to, 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 to drive a low-carbon economy. Yeah, but now you're moving into the area of market theory Yeah, and uh, whether or not a market should have... Uh, should have a role for speculators, for liquidity providers, for market mm. makers. It, you know, that's, that, that's not necessarily a question that we want to go into here, mm. um, but, it's, but the fact remains that traders, speculators, have all been, had a very important role in price discovery, in finding out exactly how much an EUA should cost at any given moment in time. Absolutely. But the question is what companies and how many will still have to buy for, for their compliance purposes. Uh, well, there's 12,000 installations around Europe who are covered by the EU ETS, you know. So there's plenty out there. It's just a question of whether or not they want to manage their exposure, their, their risk, actively or passively. When prices between 2012 and 2017, prices were like mumbling along its five, six, four euros, of course it made sense to delay your purchasing, your annual buying for compliance, to quarter one. Because you there was, you know, there's no risk. The prices were always the same. And everybody who did that got mightily caught out mm. in 2018 because the price trebled between quarter one and quarter four. Now they find instead of paying four euros, five euros, they have to pay 20. That will force some changes. They'll have to have more active monitoring of the market in order to avoid you know, splurging vast amounts of money that they didn't expect to have to do. The Commission will publish these figures, the verified emissions for 2018, early April, 1st of April? Uh, first working day of April. First working day of April. What are your expectations here? I mean, we've seen them come off a little bit in recent years. Hasn't really driven prices, though. No. Um, I would imagine that just looking at the, at the, the overall at, um, environment from the past year, uh, we had a, had a mild winter. Uh, it started off, it, it didn't really kick in until the, the new year if there was any cold temperatures at all. So there might be a decrease. Power sector in many countries has been switching towards gas, so we might have some reductions there. Equally, demand may have declined slightly. So your gut feeling is for uh, a reduction? A small reduction. If we can return to the fundamentals and maybe even the technicals, um, Alessandro, what do you think are driving or will drive prices in the coming weeks will it be the technicals you know there's a the 200 day moving average could you de describe that in a little bit more detail how that influences you know price formation and, and and the market well the 200 day moving average has become in the last couple of weeks a major factor the reason is is that the market has been above this moving average since late 2017 summer 2017 that's when the rally really began and the price rose above 200-day moving average and has remained consistently above that up until the last couple of weeks when it suddenly came back into, into focus and the market dropped below it briefly last week. So that is a fairly important support level for the market. If we can stay above it, 
all well and good. If you fall below it, the game's open. That aspect overrides elements such as the the B word, the Brexit factor, or warmer weather, or you know, increase in gas fire generation. Well, it does and it doesn't. I mean, it's a, you know when the price crosses a major psychological barrier, either up or down, that has an impact of its own. But as you say, there are other factors in play. Brexit is, you know, it's a continuing. Um, black cloud over the market because people worry that in, 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 the, in, in the event of a no-deal Brexit, UK installations will have to get rid of as many EUAs as they can before they become ineligible or you know, taken away from them. Um, so they'd literally get dumped on the market get, from, yes. from the 30th of March onwards. Well, the problem Maybe is we're, run, we're running out of time. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, <laughs> That's the case, yes. We're really running out of time here. And so the, the question is, have they started to sell off these EUAs? Will they start to sell off these EUAs? Or have they simply transferred them to another account within the EU from which they can play with them? So we don't know. Black cloud over the market. I have a question about what has happened actually in the beginning of this week when UK climate minister Claire Perry said that if there is a deal, UK will stay in their ETS until the current trading phase. But then onwards, it will be preferable for the UK from 2021 to actually have a standalone um, system. So, I mean, Claire Perry said to the House of Lords that the preferred outcome, the preferred option, is a standalone UK ETS that is linked to the European market. That's the, the, the number one. If th- then, that, then that does require, well, it requires a deal. It requires us to go from being members of the EU ETS up until the end of 2020 to suddenly being a standalone ETS linked to the EU ETS right. from the 1st of January 2021. Um, that has all sorts of potential challenges and, and, and difficulties attached to it. However, she did say is that in the event of a no deal, we would still go ahead with the UK ETS and we would still try and link it to the EU ETS. So we, are, we know mm-hmm. the current government's policy is standalone UK ETS linked to the European market a standard UK ETS linked to the European market. Whether or not that happens in the time available to 2021, should we say, is another question entirely. It, remember, it's taken, it took the Swiss about 11 years to link their right, ETS. Yes. That was going to be my next question. <laughs> you know, so how, you know, how, how can I think that this can happen in a, in a matter of months? Well, or, you know? Claire Perry made some interesting points. She said, look, the UK was intimately involved in setting up and reforming the EU ETS. We and the Swiss weren't? Well, they weren't, were they? No, no, no. Well, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Um, so we start from a point today, or even on the 20th, 30th of March this year, or whenever, we start from a point of having identical regulatory systems. All that would have to happen is that the UK would have to adopt, in domestic law, sufficient legislation to make sure that the UK emissions market began its life as close to the European model as possible. That's the first thing. The second thing is then to negotiate a link with the European Union itself. Now, we have something like 18 months to two years before we would leave under a negotiated withdrawal. Um, We have less than that if it's a no deal. So the onus is very much on the British to say we need to negotiate that link. If, that, if it can be done, all well and good. And from 2020, from December the 31st, 2020, we leave. January the 1st, 2021, 20, uh, we join as a linked member of the EU ETS. Is, I mean, is there a majority 
of the current government or even the opposition for this option? I mean, is this the preferred option from both the government and opposition? I don't think anybody, uh, you know, the, the general membership of the House of Commons in the UK has any interest or awareness of this. This is a highly technical, marginal issue within the overall... Very, very important, Alessandra. Very, very, very important. Environmentally critical. Um, But, you know, you you, you wouldn't expect Jacob Rees-Mogg to have a view on the ETS and the future of it. You never know. It's possible. It's possible. Um, So I don't think there's, you know... There's any real mileage in, in, in speculating what the Houses of Parliament would do. They won't vote on this. This is a regulatory thing. I, I'm guessing that the government's preferred option is the government's preferred option. It's been stated they will issue a consultation paper at the, at the end of April. So we'll all have a clear idea of what their intention is, what it will look like, and they'll be asking for views on how to set the cap, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll find out. There's another fundamental issue in the market currently. Uh, well, there are many, but one of them is is the uh, announced coal exit from the German government and moves from from Spain, unfortunately not Poland yet, Anna, but uh, uh, Spain to do, the, to do the same. Spain, Italy, France, Netherlands, Germany, and in fact the UK as well. Remember the sure, UK? Sure, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a really big, hairy question that's hanging over the market as well because if you take away a coal plant you take away demand for an eu allowance of carbon how do you compensate for that you have to cancel at the moment government member state cancellation of euas is purely voluntary under the emissions trading directive it's Mm. not mandatory Mm. uh you'll notice the number of coal plants that have shut down so far in the past four or five years there's been no cancellation by any government of any of the EUAs that would have corresponded to the demand from those plants that are closed. And with, with carbon prices at 25 uh, uh, euro a ton, hmm, mm. you know, I think you'd be a, a brave treasury to, 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 to cancel that, that, kind of, that, that kind of volume. That's very true. But again, if you don't, that, those auctions at 25 euros will suddenly become auctions at 5 euros again. Mm. So, you know, there's a balancing act here. Now, the German um, Coal Commission recommended cancellations of EUAs equivalent to the closure of coal plants. But even that, it's not clear exactly how many EUAs will be taken out of the market. And it's only a recommendation. And it's only, I mean, the German government has said they accept the findings and they, and they'll, they'll, they will act accordingly. But between here and a final decision, anything can happen. You're an expert, you've been covering this for, for, for many, many years. What advice would you give to someone entering this market or looking to, in, in, in to, in to invest? Is it, is it a safe investment? Um, <clears throat> I think my first advice would be buy four pairs of very sturdy underwear. <laughs> um, this, yeah. this, is, this is a market that, can, you know, that, that surprises everybody. And maybe a, a hefty dose of Valium or something, um, or, or caffeine even. Yeah. Caffeine and Valium in equal proportions, I think. The, the the difficulty is is that we know that the trajectory should be upwards over time. And last year was like a textbook case. But equally, um, there's a short term element to the carbon market. You know, take take a look at the at the gas price in Europe. Take a look at the coal price in Europe. Take a look at the global supplies of both of those commodities. That's a really important impact on the demand for carbon. Um, we've, we've seen, I think, prices for coal and for natural gas have come down by up to 20% since last October. Um, if they both come down at the same rate, 
what does that do for the relative you know, uh, competitiveness of coal or gas? You have to factor in the price of carbon, the price of power. So th there's so many moving parts to this. I, I think that if you're going to invest in this, you have to have either a conviction or you have to have a really, you know, as I said, stout pair of underpants. Mm -hmm. Or a subscription to Montel, Anna. <laughs> or that. Or the knowledge. Um, I think that rounds it up from, from my side, Anna. Have you got any further questions you'd like to ask Alessandro? I think I know everything now. In that case, I'd like to end here. Uh, thank you, listeners, for, for holding out to this far. And that rounds up our carbon special with Alessandro. Thank you, Alessandro, for, for making it in to come and talk to us. Alessandro Vitelli. It's a pleasure. We will be back again next week with another edition of the Montel Weekly Podcast. For more energy news, check out Montel website, subscribe and follow us on Twitter at Montel News. Bye. Bye.